As we begin this morning, I just wanted to uh, take a moment to say thank you so much for your prayers and words of encouragement and support to me and my family uh, over the past uh, week or so. Um, I greatly appreciate it. Um, very thankful for the leadership here and uh, for Terry stepping in to preach last week and Fred leading in worship. We are blessed by some amazing men of God at this church, and I'm so thankful uh, to be able to turn to them and trust them. And I really wasn't sure how today would, would play out. Uh, emotionally, I'm uh, kind of all over the place. Uh, I talked to my Bible study uh, group this morning in great detail about, you know, what happened this past week and, and uh, I guess, two past two weeks. And I told them, if I'm being honest, and I'll be honest with you because I was honest with them, uh, there's a big part of me that just really doesn't even want to be here today. Um, I'd really love to be able just to be uh, on my mom's back porch, sipping some coffee and just rocking in a rocking chair and just spending that time with family. Uh, I love what God's called me to do. I'm extremely thankful and blessed with that calling that He's placed upon my life. And in the midst of all of this, I'm trying to figure out how do I jump right back into Romans chapter 4 because we're not quite finished there. And uh, I'm just not quite ready to get there. And so, I'm beginning to think about, well, what am I going to share with you all today? And I think today's message is just as much for me as it is potentially for you. The reality is, I know that I'm not the only one that's, that's hurting today or struggling with some life circumstance or situation. I know that there are many of you that are in the midst of some serious trials and you're struggling to make sense of the suffering that you're dealing with. And if we're not careful, when our world is turned upside down, we'll have a tendency to, to put all of our attention and focus upon the problems we face rather than upon the one who can overcome them, and who can strengthen us in the midst of the season that we find ourselves in. And life, and so today I want to share with you some foundational truths about suffering. Back in 2018, only been a, a few months after God called me to this place, I I gave a message entitled "The Truth About Suffering," and in that message, there's this section that I just want to share with us today. Uh, and so I want to share with you how God allows suffering in order to accomplish something good. In fact, Scripture is clear about that reality. This morning I'd like to give you eight examples of how God can accomplish something good in the midst of our suffering. So first of all, God allows suffering sometimes, maybe I should phrase it like that, sometimes God allows suffering in order to help advance the gospel. Paul was imprisoned unjustly as he writes to the church in Philippi 
I want you to notice what he says to them in Philippians chapter 1. He says, but I want you to know, brethren, that the things which happened to me have actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel, so that it has become evident to the whole palace guard. Then on another occasion, uh, that's mentioned in Galatians chapter 4, verse number 13, Paul said, as you know, it was because of an illness that I first preached the gospel to you. So who knows what would have happened among the people of Galatia had Paul not become ill. Many of those people might not have ever heard the good news proclaimed. Which there's a spiritual truth in that reality. The spiritual truth is that in God's eye, it's far better to allow one man or one woman to suffer a short time in this life so that a larger group of people don't have to suffer for eternity. Sometimes that allows that season in our life for the advancement of the gospel. Number two, sometimes... God allows that suffering so that people would be drawn back unto Him. Think about the prodigal son from Luke chapter 15. I trust that you're familiar with that story, that I don't have to read it all, but if you're not, I'd encourage you to read it at some point today. The prodigal son in Luke chapter 15 there, after he, he takes his inheritance early and he goes and he spends it sinfully and in wickedness, it says that he began to be in need. He began to be in need. He found himself suffering and struggling and eating the, pig, the pig's food is what he's doing. And he's, oh yeah, he's, he's in need and he comes to his senses is what the text tells us in verse number 17. And after being in need and coming to his senses, he, he, he goes home and he repents and he returns to the Father. See, his suffering led him to a place of repentance. C.S. Lewis wrote in his book, The Problem of Pain, he says these words. He says that God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks in our conscience, but shouts in our pains. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. And I tend to agree with that assessment. Pain does have a way of waking us up. Suffering and struggling does have a way of bringing our attention to something or someone that's greater than us. It has wisely been said that some people will not look up to God until they're first lying flat on their backs. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse number 10, for the sorrow that is according to the will of God produces a repentance without regrets. Sometimes it is within the will of God that we suffer and struggle. Why? Because sometimes we're in need of repentance. And so I would encourage you to give consideration today. If you're suffering, if you're in that season of life, I would encourage you to examine your life. Examine your life. Because your suffering may 
Hear that word, may. I can't emphasize that enough. Your suffering may be from the Lord for the purpose of waking you up to some sin in your life that needs to be repented from. It may, but it may not. It might be for another reason or for another uh, purpose. Uh, It's important to understand that our suffering and struggling in life is not always related to some sin condition in our lives. The scriptures are clear. Psalm chapter 34, verse number 19 says, Many are the afflictions of the righteous. Which means even the child of God who is walking rightly in accordance to the Word of God and the will of God can sometimes go through seasons of great suffering. If you need a a scriptural evidence of that, just read through the book of Job and you'll see that played out ever so clearly. So sometimes God allows us to suffer in order to draw us back to Him. Number three, sometimes God allows our suffering in order to discipline His children. Psalm chapter 119, verse number 67 declares, Before I was afflicted, I went astray. So before the suffering was brought into my life, I was living in error. It says, but now I keep your word. Then in verse number 71, it says, it's good for me that I was afflicted, that I may learn your statutes or your word. And then in verse number 75, the psalmist writes, in faithfulness, you have afflicted me. The writer of Hebrews says it like this. In Hebrews chapter 12, uh, verse number 7, starts off with the words, endure hardship as discipline. And then in verse number 10, it says, our fathers disciplined us for a little while as they thought best. But God's discipline, but God disciplines us for our good that we might share in His holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. You should understand that the purpose of of, of discipline is not the same purpose of punishment. Discipline and punishment are not the same thing. The purpose of punishment is to impose a penalty upon a person for a previous action done by that person, right? So, so the focus is on past action. But discipline, the purpose of discipline is to train a person in, in correction and, and for maturity. So the focus on discipline is on future correct action. So one of the worst things that we could do as parents would be to fail to train or to correct our child when they are rebelling against God. And so we'll do something that we might not like, and that is we'll instill discipline within our children so that we can produce or help to produce something that we love, and what we love is obedience to the Word and to the will of God. Our problem comes in is when we try to understand how God works and 
how God moves in our lives. A lot of times we, we fail to see that the good that can be achieved in the midst of our suffering, especially when we're in the trial, in the hardship. Sometimes it's very hard for us to see the good that God can cause to work from the hardship that we're enduring. The best way I can explain this is to give you an analogy. It would be like walking in the woods and you come across a bear that has been captured as in, entrapped in a snare. And so the bear is alive, the bear is struggling, the bear is in pain, and you have great compassion upon that bear, and you want to do something good for that bear, but you know that you're, that bear is not going to cooperate. The bear is in need, struggling, and you have compassion, and you want to help, but you need the bear's cooperation. And so what you're going to do is you're going to, because every one of you walks around the woods and the wilderness for the purpose of this illustration, and you all carry with yourselves a, a, a tranquilizer gun. I mean, we're in Texas, you probably have a gun, but not a tranquilizer. I'm not going there. So you pull out that tranquilizer gun and the bear sees you with that gun and the bear doesn't understand that it's a tranquilizer gun, it's just the gun. And you take aim at the bear and the bear is going to assume that you're some evil person that's there to cause further destruction and so you shoot the bear with that tranquilizer gun. But even the tranquilizer gun doesn't solve the problem. So you do what you'd have to do next, and that is to go and to approach the bear. And you have to release him from the snare. But if you know anything about snares, and I know very little other than the purpose of this illustration, I know that in order to release the tension of that snare, you've got to further compress that snare into the bear's leg in order for it to release a point where the springs will release and open up. So if that bear is somewhat conscious and you approach it and you begin to drive that further in, the bear is only going to think that you are some sadistic individual that is just cruel. Because the bear doesn't understand. The bear can only see it from his limited perspective. And so the bear will wonder, why is it that you're causing me further pain? You see, when we see things from our limited perspective, we tend to end up being frustrated, bitter, or even angry. We begin to wonder, why God, why? Why are you allowing me or my family to go through this season of our lives when in actuality, if we can only see the big picture We would understand that maybe he's allowing it because he sees the big picture and he knows what's going to come at the end of all of that trial and hardship. Sometimes God allows that suffering to to discipline us, to train and to correct us for positive future actions in our lives. Number four. Sometimes God allows suffering in order to just keep us 
humble. To put us in check. You can take Paul as an example. Paul, uh, God allowed Paul to suffer in order to keep him humble. Paul writes himself in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. And he says, to keep me from being conceited, because of the surpassing great revelations, there was given me a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient to you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Oh, we always tend to go to that part of the text. But we fail to understand that Paul was allowed to suffer from this affliction in his life in order to keep him from being conceited. God knew how Paul was wired. God knew Paul's tendency. And to keep him in check, Paul, God allowed Paul to suffer so that you get to the point he would understand that the grace of God is sufficient and that God's power is made perfect in weakness. Number five, sometimes God allows suffering in order to further develop our character. Romans chapter 5, verses 3 through 5 says, We also rejoice in our suffering, because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not disappoint us because God has poured out His love into our heart by the Holy Spirit whom He has given us. May you understand this, that God is much more interested in the development of your character than He is in the provision of your comfort. And as you endure hardships and trials, several things are also occurring in the midst of it. Because as you endure them, you're also being trained to persevere. Your character is being developed and your hope or or your confidence in God is being strengthened in that season. Number six, sometimes... God allows suffering in order to equip us to help others. Let's just think about this. Sometimes your pain, your problem, your suffering, your struggle this season is bigger than you. God is preparing you to have a ministry unto others. 2 Corinthians chapter 1 says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. So in your suffering, in your trials, the comfort that you receive from the Lord the wisdom that you gain, the truths that you discover allow you to be able to effectively minister to other people who are either in the midst of suffering or who will one day be suffering. 
Number seven. Sometimes uh, God allows suffering so that His glory might be displayed. He allows it for His glory to be made known. We see this in John chapter 9. In John chapter 9, uh, it says, As he went along, he saw a blind man from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Neither this man or his parents sinned, said Jesus. But this happened so that the work of God might be displayed in his life. So God providentially allowed this man to suffer from from blindness for a limited time, not because there was any sin in his life, not because there was any sin in the life of his parents, but he allowed him to suffer so that, according to verse number 3, the work of God might be displayed in his life. And think about it. A miraculous provision cannot occur without there first being a desperate need. God's divine healing cannot occur without there first being a great sickness in a person's life. May you know that your suffering can, could possibly be the opportunity for the glory of God to be put on display in and through that circumstance. So as we pray for one another, as we pray for our loved ones that have all of these medical conditions, yes, we pray and we ask for healing. We ask for divine intervention in the midst of all of that. But greater than that, we ought to be praying, God, be glorified in and through it all. Whatever it takes to bring your greatest glory, then Father, make it happen. That's a hard prayer to embrace. It's much easier to tell other people to pray that way than it is for you, yourselves, in the midst of it, to pray that way. I I get it. I know. Number eight. Sometimes God allows suffering to help keep others from suffering. He, he does this by fulfilling the promise from Romans chapter 8, verse number 28. And he says that we know that in all things God works for the good for those who love Him, who have been called according to His purpose. So in other words, God will take our suffering and He can cause good to emerge from our suffering if we love Him and have been called according to His purpose. I mean, the Old Testament gives us a great example of this reality being played out. And you see it in the life, in the story of Joseph. Joseph went through terrible amounts of suffering. Beaten and ultimately sold into slavery by his own brothers. Falsely accused, falsely imprisoned. And finally, after a dozen years of of that suffering and that struggling, Joseph found himself in a position with great authority. 
And then listen what he says to his brothers about his own suffering. In Genesis chapter 50, verse number 20, he says, You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good, to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. God promises that He can take whatever pain that we're experiencing and He can draw some good from it for those that love Him. I mean, the ultimate example of this reality is seen in the life of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Because of His suffering, we can now be forgiven. God allowed the evil actions of men to help accomplish His goal of making salvation available to me and to you. What, what, what an amazing God that we have. And so, in the midst of your suffering, you can either run from the Father, or you can turn to Him and draw near unto Him. And so, we make the choice. We get to decide. In those trials and in those seasons, will you run from Him? Or will you turn to and draw near unto Him? Just to listen to, to what Jesus says in John chapter 16, verse number 33. He says, I have told you these things so that in Me you may have peace, in this world, you will have trouble. Then he says, but take courage. I have overcome the world. Jesus offers us the two needed things in the midst of our struggle and suffering. Notice the text says he, he gives us peace and he offers, gives us courage. Peace to deal with our present circumstance. Courage to, to deal with whatever lies in our future. You see, the ultimate answer to our suffering is really not an explanation. The ultimate answer to our suffering is the incarnation of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Suffering is a, a personal problem that demands a personal response. And aren't you glad that our God is not some disinterested, distant deity? No, our God is inter willing to enter into our world and experience our pain. Let me ask you, are you troubled today? Are you frustrated are you weary or worn out? If so, now is not the time to withdraw and isolate yourselves from other people. Now is the time for us to be real about our circumstance. Now is the time for us to lean upon each other for encouragement and support. Why is it that of all places, it's the church that we show up to and we fake like everything is good in our lives? When this is the one place 
that we should be real and authentic about who we are, what we're dealing with, and what we're struggling with or through. Philippians chapter 4, a couple verses, and, and I'm done. Philippians chapter 4, it tells us to be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And then notice the promise. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. In other words, like, lay it at the altar. Let the Father know. Offer up the prayer. Trust and rely on the, the truth that God's Word says that we can bring all of our cares unto Him because He cares for us. Then we're told in Galatians chapter 6, spend a little time on this, just a little. Galatians chapter 6, beginning in verse number 2, says to bear one another's burdens and thereby fulfill the law of Christ. Then he goes on to say, for if anyone thinks that he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But each one must examine his own work. And then he will have reason uh, for, for boasting in regard to himself alone and not in regard to another. But look at verse number 5. Verse number 5 says, for each one will bear his own load. And as I'm reading this this past week, I'm seeing verse number 2, I'm seeing verse number 5, and i got to tell you, I'm in a little season of confusion, a little bit of cloudiness up there. And I read number, verse number 2, and it says to bear one another's burden and thereby fulfill the law of Christ. And then verse number 5 says, for each one will bear his own load. So, so, so which one is it? What am I supposed to do? Am I supposed to, to bear my own load, as it says in verse number 5? Or are we to bear other people's burdens, that it says in verse number 2? Yeah, thank you. Both. It's not the same thing. He's not talking about the same thing. In order to understand what it is that we're to do, we must understand what it is that he's actually said. And so look at verse number 2. Verse number two says to bear one another's burdens. So the term, it's a Greek noun, use burden. That, that, that term can be translated as a hardship, which was regarded as physically burdensome or, or, or exhausting. So it's a hardship that is burdensome and exhausting. Right Now, in verse number 5, the term that's being used, it's not burden, the term is load. Again, it's a different Greek noun that's being used here. That load means it's an individual burden that is not transferable. I mean, that is yours. You can't pass that off to anybody else. That, that, is, that is your responsibility. You're, that, uh, you're obligated for that. See, we each have certain obligations for which we alone are responsible. We cannot assume the responsibilities for other people's behavior. But we can, however, bear one another's 
burdens. Which means we can come alongside a, a struggling brother or, or sister and we can help shoulder the weight of their trial or circumstance. A great scriptural example for this is seen in Acts chapter 11. I'll give you the summary. Uh, the, the, the church at Antioch is the example of bearing one another's burdens. The church of Antioch, they learned of a coming famine in Judea. Okay, and, and so what do they do? They get together and they know that this famine is coming and there's going to be great difficulty for their brothers and sisters in Christ whom they've never met, who they have no idea who they are personally. They just know hardship is headed their way. And so what they do is they come together and they take up a collection. And they take up a collection and, and they send it to these believers by way of traveling apostles. And so the church of Antioch did not assume total responsibility for all of their provisions, but their generosity most certainly helped to lighten the load of them in the midst of their hardship. And so the Bible is crystal clear. We are all responsible before God for for the gifts and the resources that He has entrusted us. We'll all give an account unto the Father for what we've done and how we've handled His blessings in our lives. Which means we cannot blame others. We cannot shift responsibility. We cannot make excuses when we've failed to remain faithful to the assignment that God has given to us. The reality is we all must bear our own loads. But there are times, perhaps you're in that time, there are times when life and circumstances threaten to overwhelm us. It could be death of a loved one, injury to a child, be a phone call in the midst of all of it be a phone call from your mother saying to pray for me to have cancer be a loss of a job the severing of a lifelong friendship be a fire that consumes and burns down your home. Whatever it is, as brothers and sisters in Christ, part of the family of God, we are to come to aid, to assist our brothers and sisters in their time of need. Philippians chapter 2, verse 3 and 4 says, do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also the interests of others. When a burden becomes too heavy for one person to deal with 
on their own. We, as the church, are to come alongside and to help bear that burden with them. If you've been there, you know that that the added strength and encouragement that we receive from other people is often all the difference in the world between pressing on in Christ or giving up and walking away. Are you broken today? Are you discouraged? Do you just want to cry out and say, God, I can't take it anymore? Now is the time. Don't turn away from Jesus and his bride. Don't turn away from, from the Father and the church. Now is the time to draw near to one another, to pray, to encourage, to support to help bear the burdens of our brothers and sisters in Christ. Don't isolate yourself. Open up. Be real. Be honest. And receive the encouragement that's available through the church. With that being said, let's pray. Don't do this often, but I'll do it today. One simple question as we enter into a time of prayer and reflection. The question is, today, do you find yourself with a heavy load? Overwhelmed, frustrated, discouraged, just a lot is on your plate. And you need prayer. You need encouragement. You need support. If that's you, would you just raise your hand where you are? You weary today? Discouraged, frustrated? Raise your hand. Don't be shy. Heavenly Father, I pray that as we enter into this time of worship through singing and responding to your word, I pray that we would be open and honest, that we would be real, that your spirit would move among us, guiding us, convicting us, encouraging and strengthening us, Father, may the people know that the altar is open. May they be encouraged to come, to kneel, to pray, to cry out unto You. And they know that, Father, that we stand available and willing and ready to pray with, to encourage any and all that would seek it. May You be glorified in how we respond in this moment. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. You may take whatever posture or prayer you desire. You can stand, you can sit, you can lay out if necessary. But now's the time to give reflection upon the Word of God and respond accordingly.